financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Nick Bakai, Buffalo's favorite son, and one of my all-time favorite people. And uh, we're going to get into some of my favorite Nick Bakai characters. <laughs> but what we're going to talk about today is his new show on Max, which he co-created and co-writes with Chuck Lorre, and it is going to premiere November 30th. The first two episodes of Bookie will be on Max. And I uh, saw the first episode. It is uh, a lot of fun. Um, Nick, thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is Tim Graham and friends. I will note that uh, uh, one friend, no friends. Jonah Bronstein, <laughs> has fallen off. Uh, but uh, Nick Bakai is taking his place today. We're going to talk Bills and Sabres, obviously. He's been going through the ringer with both teams uh, here as we head towards Thanksgiving. Um, Nick, let's let's just go ahead and get into it there. A lot of people listen to this show for a little sports mood mm -hmm. check. Uh, what's <laughs> the vibe? What are we doing? So who better to check the mood? on Buffalo sports than the man who has go bills inscribed on the inside of his wedding ring. That's Nick right. Right there, right in there. You can't see it, but it's there. And I'm also happily to, proud, proud. I should be wearing my talking proud button. I'm a proud Buffalonian and you know it, Tim. I, you know, I don't know. My mood is, um, you know, look, I turned 65 this year, Tim. It's, it's tragic. Um, although you made me feel good that I've eclipsed Rick James as Buffalo's favorite son. I've been working on that, <laughs> working on I that think one. that tragic would be not hitting 65. And that's true. And I was working on it for a while, but I, I've made it. Um, I'm like that runner who finished, hit the finish line covered in her own feces, but I'm here, baby. Um, <laughs> I finished, I finished the race. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I've, I've found myself reflecting a lot this year, watching the bills and, Sabres are warming up. I'm watching them, but bills are deeper in, you know, and I don't know, you know, I just, I'm at that point now where I'm really, I'm, I, I've been, I, I go back to the rock pile, right? I went to games there. I saw Johnny Unitas play for the Chargers there. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I just, I've been through this for so long and I watch every snap. I'm devoted. I love it. But I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm glad they've made the, the OC change. They play a little better against the Jets. Um, but we've already lost too many games against too many shitty teams this year. It's upsetting. It's inexcusable. Um, there's something weird. And I and the defensive injuries, I don't think you can overestimate the loss of those key players. And I can't believe how well they're playing despite all of that. And Bean has made some very shrewd moves, blah, blah, blah. But I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what? 
I've been watching this for so long, and I am really happy. Now, Josh has his quarter billion, right? Um, I am not interested in watching Josh Allen play quarterback for the Bills for 100 years, you know, and have him around for the next rebuild. I don't care. I'm sick of it. You know, I'm like, look, he's got he got paid. He's set. This guy is just a, a crazy, wild, gazelle, impulsive player. He's exciting to watch. He makes me forget that Dick Geron ever coached the Bills. It's, you know, but let him run bright. Let him run wild. Let him not slide. Let him go nuts and be himself. Turn him loose. I don't care if he's out of the game in two years. Could we please win something? And could we let him be exciting? That's all I care about. I was happy to see him get on track against the Jets. The game plan was interesting, but it was really dull football. And I don't think we're going to go very far with Stefan Diggs getting eight yards or whatever he caught. So, you know, I think they're on to something. Hopefully they'll get it all together. If they can keep running like that, the offensive line's good. Maybe we're built for the playoffs if we can get there. We got Murderer's Row coming up on the schedule. It's going to be very difficult. This season smells of Buffalo disappointment already. Um, I'm already figuring out, like, maybe I'll get on board the Lions for the playoffs. I used to always get on board the Raiders. They were my playoff team in the 60s and 70s when we sucked, you know, because I always looked at Oakland as the Buffalo of the Bay Area, Buffalo of California, so I could get into it. So, you know, I'm already thinking this way. Because I'm a Bills fan, and things get weird, Tim, and I'm I'm shell shocked. So this season's ugly. It's freaky weird. I'll throw this past you. Maybe you can uh, pick up on uh, what Ryan Nobles uh, was saying a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. Uh, he's the NBC News Capitol Hill correspondent. Obviously, an interesting time for him professionally. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going through an existential crisis, and it sounded like, and I'm not, uh, I'm saying this half-jokingly, sounded like he may need to talk to a professional about it, is that yeah. he is getting more upset by the Bills' losses than enjoying the wins, and it's starting to really yes. churn him over. And now you've been through this for a long time, but I think it's getting the taste yeah. once again of mm – -hmm. Super Bowl contenderhood, but now things are kind of crashing for various astute fans who have had about their limit. And it is an, um, there is an emotional toll that takes place. Uh, have you gotten to that point yet? 100%. You know, because I mean, I am really haunted by the feeling that 13 seconds was our moment. These moments don't grow on trees. That was the moment, and we fucked it up so badly. And I am long enough in the Buffalo sports tradition that I remember when we had words for the awfulness. You know, we had words like, you know, OJ's on the 405. We had, you know, Brett Hall's in the crease. We had Malarchuk. The kids should look that, Google that one, kids. You know, we had words for them. And now it's, you know, 13 seconds, or it was that, asinine 12 men on the field we got 12 against the broncos and we're losing to those idiots you know it's just now we're down to just these we're down to digits and i just i i am in that same place 
I'm starting to feel the cumulative trauma of it all. But I also, I have a lot of wisdom. I've been down these roads before. And the whole feeling of, well, they'll be back. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Look at this year. It's already, it's it's not the magic that we had, you know. And you lose Milano and Tredavious White and and on and on. It's like, that's you can't replace these guys. And they've done an amazing job. And I actually think McDermott's scheming brilliantly on defense. It's he's he's making incredible lemonade, but it's just uh, you know I, I I you know this is one of the reasons why I bet sports. It like gives me some control again, or at least the illusion of it. Well, right, it, an illusion for sure. Um, you mention that supposition. Uh, taking it for granted that as long as Josh Allen's here, the window is open, but we've seen this season and I thought a very telling admission. I don't know if you've seen this clip that was going around uh, social media, um, but NFL films had a clip of Josh Allen on the sideline, ripping his helmet off and saying, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm fucking back, which to me is, not necessarily the rah-rah statement you would want. That was an admission that he went somewhere. Um, I feel yeah. like I'm fucking back, or I think I'm fucking yeah. back. I'm sorry, that's what it was. I think I'm fucking I think back. I'm fucking back. And hmm. that was I I think, I think I am. Yeah. Or also like, let's not call it a comeback. Like I never left, like that whole mentality. So if Josh Allen during that game uh against the uh the Jets on Sunday is starting to feel in week 11, mm-hmm. uh, I think I'm fucking back. Then is the window really Josh Allen? Yeah. Well, that's a great point. You know, I think he's, um, you know, I, I, I mean, look, he's the, he's, he's the outstanding X factor for our team. If you remove him from this current Bills team or the Bills team that went to 13 seconds in Kansas City, um, and replace him with anything else. I don't think we feel special. In the same way that you take Jim Kelly out of those Super Bowl era Bills teams, you're removing something essential because of his toughness, his attitude. Um, I do think these guys are the they're the philosopher's stone of the alchemy of these teams. To take nothing away from all the other passionate players and leaders on those teams. But at quarterback, you live and die, you know. And I mean, look, Josh is like, he is that gunslinger. He is Favre, you know. He's going to throw some crazy-ass interceptions. I have no problem with that because he will then do something so outrageously, athletically impossible, price of admission, you know. That's anti. you got to ante up or you're not in the game. I don't care. Um, And it's up to this coaching staff and Bean – to build a team that can bend with the reality of Josh, you know, and when they turn him into a non RPO hand the ball off a lot, dink and dunker, it pisses me off. You know, when they start to commit to like, we're going to do a a 12 personnel tight end kind of, it pisses me off. Um, You know, so um, I, I I mean, I, and, and, and this is the problem. You know, and I'm a typical dumbass NFL fan. I'm an overweight guy who played high school football, and I think I know what I'm talking about. 
It's just like when people come up to me and say, I'll tell you what's wrong with your TV show. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. You know, it's like, you know, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't. I have, I, I started running shows when I was in my fifties and it took me every minute to understand how to run a fucking network TV show. So don't, and that's real. There's some wonderkins who could do it in their twenties, but they're very rare. There's so much to learn. Um, and not everybody can do it. And that's what happens when, you know, these coordinators get promoted and they shit the bed and it's hilarious because there's so much more than the X's and O's and the people management is essential. There's a million things though. As a buddy of mine said, running a TV show, um, isn't just having to write and manage your actors and do all the creative you have to do it while you're managing an ampm store that's open 24 hours a day so there's a weird duality to what your brain does so i know i'm talking out my ass adam when gase I see, would have made a nice gaffer there you go yes he would not yes, a head he would there you go no one of these guys look look at um josh mcdaniel you know, the guy the, the double flame outs i mean look at all the belichick right those guys to me are like all the people who wrote on friends who didn't create it because there's a period of time in my industry where every if you were on friends you got a huge multi-million dollar development deal and every day and how many you know how many shows came out of all those deals that the hundreds of friends co-producers and supervising producers got that you know it's just like that it's like you know nobody knows who actually does what on a writing staff except the people in the room and i think that's true of these coaches too so this is a long way of me saying i i'm talking about 12 personnel like i know what i'm talking about tim i don't but i do know like i know talent and i know that when i had a show that allison janney was the star of i had the brains to turn her loose I didn't say, this is great. Now, Allison, I'm going to make you a boring little character and you're going to have a lot of crazy people around you. No, you know, you don't make her Barney Miller and then you'll have nuts around her. That's a, you know, you've got one of the great actresses of her generation. You turn her loose. You give her all the ammo and say, go, go nuts. We'll make the show work around what you bring to the party. And that's what makes me a little nervous. Because McDermott strikes me as a very, very brilliant defensive coach until it's the end of a championship game. That I don't know about. But, you know, he should get his hands out of the offense because his idea of a good offense is just so conservative. And it's like, no, you've got you've got uh, Charles Bukowski playing quarterback. You want to make him write for Highlights Magazine? No. My analogies are out of control. Stop me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you, you know, you mentioned the Jim Kelly, you know, obviously that's the quarterback. That's a, you know, the, the hall of famer first ballot, the whole thing. But uh, I was asked one time in my mailbag, uh, the satchel, by the way, the satchel returns this week for those who listen. I saw that. Feel free I saw to drop, it on a, the athletic. drop a question in there. And uh, please, I urge anybody listening to drop a question into my satchel and I'll, I'll see what comes out. Um, but it was asked of me uh, if you could replace who, who would be better off Jim Kelly on the current bills or Josh Allen on the Super Bowl bills. <laughs> and I thought Great I said, question. Josh Allen on the Super Bowl bills uh, was my mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. 
But that was Josh Allen circa 2022. The circa 2023 Josh Allen leads me to think that there might be some cracking going on with that situation. Uh, and maybe a Jim Kelly don't give a fuck attitude. Uh, mm. I'll beat my head against the wall. I'll be out on Chippewa or Hurdle until three three in the morning the night before a 1, a, a 1 p.m. kickoff. And I'll still uh, maybe I'll throw three picks, but we'll win the game. We'll find a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that Jim Kelly is is what the Bills would need. So maybe my answer's changed. That's a great question. You can make all the cases. That's why it's such a good question. The idea of Josh Allen with Andre Reid and Lofton is really interesting because that's the other thing. What's going on with Gabe Davis? It's like, you know, he has one game a year where he gets 300 yards and five touchdowns, and then he catches nothing for six weeks. This is not – there's something very strange going on here. And maybe that was Dorsey. Or is it the player? I don't know what's going on, but to not have a, a viable number two wide receiver, and, you know, it, it, and I know Shakur had the, the great moment against the Jets, and maybe we found our slot, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, this is, And I know Kincaid's evolving into something special, but imagine – if they had signed Hopkins or somebody, just a viable pro, you know, and maybe that would have been clubhouse dynamite to have two narcissistic monster ego wide receivers in the same proximity. And, and that would have been insane. But imagine if Josh and, and that free digs up and he, you know, imagine if Josh had a real receiving core. Uh I'm asking because um, they're the next two opponents. Did you happen to watch Monday Night Football? I did. What are your thoughts on the Bills and uh, comparing what you've seen out of the Bills uh, to the quality of football you saw on Monday night? I, I, my, you know, every week I look at the line the minute it's available. And there's a game or a line I jump on because I know the number is going to change quickly. And last week, it was me betting the Eagles while I could still get plus three because I knew that would go down to two and a half, and it did. Um, I just really, really knew I believed in the Eagles. And it's not like they win in, in, a, in a fashion this year that is resounding, but um, KC is – I think KC is wildly imbalanced this year. They don't scare me. The Eagles do. I think we're going to really have our hands full against the Eagles, but we can beat KC because the reason I, I bet against them last night is the same thing I've watched all year. And it literally was prophetic. I said, that receiving core is a shit show. Um, and they are, you know, they, they just, they let too much talent leave the building. And, you know, Mahomes doesn't have receivers either this year. And that's really stupid because he's real. I hate him. As a Bills fan, there's nothing I hate more than Patrick Mahomes and the way he squeaks loose and runs for third third down conversions and ugh, everything about him makes me – I hate Andy Reid. Well, his receivers know, hate, can't catch anymore, so maybe that's – They can't catch, and they, they, yeah, they're, they're just a bunch of – there are a bunch of other teams' leftovers. You know, Valdez, Scanling, and Tony. You know, these guys are all cast-offs. They were – that's there's a reason. Um, so, anyway – the Chiefs we can beat. 
Um, although we always end up playing in Kansas City, which I'm not thrilled about. You know, it seems to be an annual event for the past 300 years. We never get them in Buffalo. Um, but the Eagles are for real. And I know everyone's going, well, you know, they're not playing as well. I mean, but look at their 9-1 and one in the NFL. The Eagles are really scary. Jalen Hurts you know, has six straight wins after trailing by 10 points. Yeah, yeah. They've got it, as we say in Hollywood, Tim. He's got but nowhere it. else. They say nowhere it nowhere else. else. Not in they sports. Nowhere else. For sure. No, they shouldn't. All right, let's touch on your Sabres before we talk about Bookie, uh, because I'm yes. excited to talk about Bookie and learn uh, the creative process behind that. I know that your love for betting and uh, obviously get into the discussions of uh, uh, what you and Chuck Lorre were were talking about when, when kicking it around, but let's at least – and, hell, we'll talk about um, the Bandits – uh, and uh, the uh, <laughs> Canisius Golden Griffins, if you'd like. Sure, uh, but sure. uh, let's at least touch on uh, on yeah. the Sabres. Um, Tage Thompson, week to week. Uh, we learn of this right at a time when uh, when Bill's optimism is, is at its low point. This was yeah. meaning before the Jets win. Um, where are you with your Sabres? You know, I think we all expected them to come out of the gate just like they finished last year, and that's unrealistic. I think the po- only the positive is um, what they haven't done is gone on one of those 400-game losing streaks that were sort of the benchmark of the last two or three years, you know, where it's like, well, you know, and that's going to come back to haunt them. Duh. Yeah, you know, um, they, they're grappling, you know, and they haven't gone on these skids. All I want from this early season is just don't skid out and lose eight in a row or 10 in a row, or they did worse than that, you know? Um, So I I think there's hope. Hopefully somebody will um, grab the alpha dog reins and goal. Um, You know, everybody seems to be competitive. I don't know that we have playoff goaltending. That's always a worry, but I like the young players are stepping up. I think they've got something good. Um, you know, and look, um, typical of a of a of a Bills season, a Saber season. If nothing else, maybe we'll get Pat Kane back in Buffalo. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have, I doubt it highly, but wouldn't that be great? Would it? Um, oh, I'd be great. Yes, it would, Tim. Because then we'd have the pride of South Buffalo playing in the Saber jersey, and we'd have a guy who won a cup and a guy who can a guy who can light the lamp. Come on now, Graham. That's well, all we need. No, he, he'll take a side. No, he'll take a he'll take a job that one of our young players. I'm no, 65. it's not that so I don't much. Want, it's then, it's then, me remembering uh, not that long ago that the Blackhawks management told him he had to move out of Western New York. Uh, <laughs> that you now <laughs> oh, need oh, you... to live in Chicago year round. Uh, <laughs> you, you are not allowed mellowed? to go back there. Yeah. Uh, and the, that's a good Buffalo guy. Yeah. That's yeah. The, it's like the, you're, the off seasons shook. are not your friend uh, in Western New York. Let's maybe get yeah. you out of there. Okay. That, that, that's a cautionary tale, but he's older and wiser. And you listen, better, you should hope I, I've gotten in trouble in Chicago and you know, it has much more to offer. Um, even though I love Buffalo and Buffalo has taken years off my life, I'll never get back. Chicago has those qualities too, but I know it's just saying he's going to run with the old crowd. I don't know what, 
Um, anyway, I just I would like the theater of it, if nothing else, because I feel like these seasons often end in, oh, we just missed the playoffs. How about a little theater while we're missing them? I wouldn't hate that. Yeah. Uh, it, also interesting from a team that told Jack Eichel he couldn't have the surgery he wanted because oh, they yeah. don't know uh, what the recovery is like. And Patrick Kane coming back from a similar, not the, not the next surgery. This is with the hip with Patrick Kane, but it is the type of uh, procedure that was done where you don't know what you, how you're going to come back from it. So there's a little I'm irony sure, there. If, I'm sure they would sign yeah, no, Patrick Kane. There would indeed. And also there would be incredible irony and, you know, after Eichel and O'Reilly immediately winning cups, the minute they're set free, you enjoyed which that, is sure. so brutal. Oh, that was, I was thrilled. At least um, Eichel I, didn't win the Con Smythe. Yeah, that's true. O'Reilly was the one-two punch, but you know, maybe maybe Kane comes back, wins a cup, and then all of a sudden we feel like God likes us again. Who knows? Well, let's talk about Bookie. Uh, it is sure. uh, a show that stars uh, Sebastian Maniscalco and has made headlines uh, for Charlie Sheen's return uh, to work with Chuck Lorre. Uh, they had the infamous falling out. Uh, when uh, Sheen left Two and a Half Men, uh, a show that you also worked on. Um, actually, before we get to Bookie, I want to give mm -hmm. your little CV, you know, as you have to do, you know, when you when you come on a show, just in case people aren't 100% familiar with Nick Bakai, uh, executive producer and writer for Mom, for Young Sheldon, uh, you also know him for his work on uh, King of Queens and all the different Kevin James vehicles, um, such as Paul Blart, one of my dad's uh, favorite films. Maybe <laughs> one of my dad's, maybe my dad's favorite film because he was a police officer and we used to watch Paul Blart when I would come <laughs> and visit in Ohio. And if it were on, we'd stop on it and he would laugh his balls off. <laughs> and he would through almost tears through a really high pitched voice because he was laughing so hard. He would say, I know that guy uh, because there are all these, he was always around wannabe cops or guys who even were on the force and doing like hard ash, trying to, trying to be hardos and really not uh, doing a good job at it. Um, I wanted to, Oh, and of course, you have to mention Salem the Cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch uh, as a character of Nick Bakai's. But I want to mention, and we've never had this discussion, about my favorite Nick Bakai character, not Elaine's boyfriend on Seinfeld when uh, the, uh, the car stunk, the valet, and the stink got on everybody, including in Elaine's hair. Um. It is Stu Dumpy, game show host <laughs> uh, on all the different um, episodes of In Living Color. What was it like to work on In Living Color? It was really cool. Um, I was there for one year, the final year. And, uh, you know, it, it, I started my career doing a lot of late night and sketch, and that remains a sweet spot for me. And that show was you know, it was wild, you know, and, and the great thing is, you know, I got to write and also be in a ton of sketches, which is not necessarily a guarantee when I went aboard there. Um, I shared an office with Jim Carrey, 
We would write together when he was not making Ace Ventura and The Mask. So it was the year he became really the biggest movie star in the world. But I I had an amazing experience, and I got to work with Jamie Foxx, Tommy Davidson, and they remain um, favorites, you know. Um, and the tape nights were nuts. And like you said, I was the host of all these. The Dirty Dozens were you know, just your mama jokes. And we did every version of every game show. We did Jeopardy. We did Wheel of Dozens, food, Family Dozens. Wheel of Dozens. And UNITY. UNITY. I say that all the time. And I and I don't know that anybody gets the reference. They think it's probably from the original, you know, the original. But I'm always saying it in my head as Stu Dunphy. As Stu Dunphy trying to fit in. Um, yeah. And it just was the ultra white host saying, you know, and you might make bank if your mama's stank. Uh, classic categories tonight. Mama's so fat. Mama's so stank. And American authors, you know, we would just do all that. And, oh, my God, we had so much fun. It was great. And those sketches, when we would tape them, um, you know, we were in front of a live audience, and those tape nights would go forever, Tim. We would tape until, like, 2 in the morning because it was loading sketches in and redoing. And and by the end of the night, we had, like, just a bunch of drunks and homeless, you know, but we were going and going. And those sketches, some of them would run. They were cutting – 15 minutes down to three for the show you know it was crazy because jamie and other guys tommy davidson but jamie in particular would save his best dozens for tape night so you never quite knew what was coming and it was it was a free-for-all it was great the blast and the, the competition i'm sure on that show uh, with so many yeah. talented and at the time up and coming comedians and yes, some hitting the cusp, you know, or going over like Jim Carrey, but they have to be trying to impress each other. Maybe not necessarily trying to, I never got the impression on that show that anybody was trying to outshine somebody else, but they were trying to impress each other with whatever they could come up with or the energy that they, they brought. That was absolutely true and it really was on tape night it was like game day and there was just i don't mean these guys they just had that look in their eye of like i'm throwing down so hard tonight you better be ready and it was great it was great and, you know nobody attacks things like i mean think about jamie and the crazy ass shit he did on that show and all of his characters and then jim carrey you know i mean that guy is um i've, I've worked with so many people at this point and I've never been around anybody who was more obsessive and more um, the work ethic and the, it was, it, I mean, honestly, like working with him was physically exhausting because he was a perfectionist and his level of energy was incomprehensible. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. Could you have seen him as a, a Oscar winning non-comedy actor at the time or is that every i would have only because david allen greer maybe i didn't you know david and david had a lot of variety in his career coming into that show he'd done a lot of broadway and he'd done dramatic stuff so yes i understand that but i would nothing would have surprised me with jim because being around him you realize he was somewhat of a superhero. he had superpowers the other reason is that um, I know that for, in order to be that funny and in character funny, 
that is the sign of a great actor. And the great ones, if you can do what he did comedically, and also knowing him the little bit that I got to know him, um, you also understood there was a lot of, um, there's a lot going on underneath it. And he was a seeker. He was trying to go at what was underneath it. That combination, I knew Jim could do anything. And Jamie Foxx, similar? Jamie Foxx was more surprising to me only because I didn't get to know him as well. And also, Jamie, what you got front and center with Jamie was ambition. Um, And Jamie, and, and, and I say that with admiration. Jamie, I learned really early on in talking to him how he went from being a stand-up in Texas to being able to promote himself to getting to where he was and that he had his eyes on the next thing and the next thing. You could tell with Jamie there was a methodical attack on the career that took him from nowhere to getting into that place. And, you know, Jamie came in after that show was up and running and he made his mark fast and big that was not easy that that was somebody there's an unstoppable force aspect to jamie as well it's not surprising that they are the most ascendant of the two because they you know that old football expression like if you try don't try to tackle him it's like trying to tackle a bowling ball covered in razor blades it was like those two guys that was their energy field it was like these guys there's nothing's going to stop these guys plus they're brilliant you know, they have all the talent, an inconceivable amount of talent and creativity, but they are also hellaciously motivated. So let's talk about Bookie. Obviously, a totally different genre from sketch comedy or even sitcoms. This is a cable series. There is no studio audience. There is no laugh track. <laughs> no. Um, a different kind of writing, I assume, when you're writing episode to episode wanting to leave a little cliffhanger at the end Mm -hmm. you have uh listen chuck Lorre and nick bakai uh have worked with a lot of super duper stars uh if the first episode is any indication uh they're going to tap into that uh because they waste no time uh with the no shit cameo uh like oh okay uh (laughs) and um but it is it's of that uh, that feel of what is great about television today those those ser- those series that are um provocative but also funny and i, I guess just how has that how is writing in that regard different is there an adjustment that you've had to make to this type of writing Definitely. You know, and and the first thing that comes to mind is it was incredibly liberating. Um, I mean, we've really worked both of our careers collectively and separately. Lots of multicam traditional half hour comedies on our resumes. And I think the two of us revere that form. Um, It's been good to us. And also when it's good, it's great. You know, it's like anything. When it's bad, it's like, look away. But when it's good, it's really got its own unique magic. But this idea was never going to be that. This was our chance to do something really gritty. It was immediately we knew this was a single camera, location heavy, 
to us, it was like, let's go a little Elmore Leonard. Um, and that was, like I said, it was liberating for us. No living room, no, uh, you know, small stakes blown up into a nuclear war sitcom premise moments. Um, and yet, you know, the core of any good show is, despite the fact that these are people in a very uh, exotic line of work, um, you know, relatability is still the coin of the realm. And this was a, this is a show about a guy who is a bookie, but like a million people in all walks of life now, you know, California is one of the few places in this, this country that sports betting is still not legal. So, uh, you know, our, our analogy has always been he's like the dinosaur seeing the asteroid coming for him, you know, because, you know, um, he's an old school business that's been around forever and there's going to be a paradigm shift. Just like if you had a taxi medallion and Uber came and destroyed your world. Um, we all look, I just was on strike with Stag and with the Writers Guild trying to combat AI replacing me. We're all in these weird positions now. You could wake up tomorrow and what you've done and what people have done in your line of work forever could be gone. So it's very relatable. Um, and it's also a guy just trying to get over with his partner, Omar Dorsey. Uh, it's a two-hander, this show. And Omar plays Ray, his partner. And um, he's brilliant in it. And it is... You know, it was a chance for Chuck and I to write about two guys just trying to get over in a strange line of work, also about their friendship. It gave us a chance to have two guys talking about all sorts of things in life unrelated to bookmaking and sports betting and just to get, get over and get their families over and how complicated that is and how expensive the world is. And it never stops biting at your toes. So we had a blast bookie as you mentioned it's about a guy um who is trying to live in this new world sebastian maniscalco is perfect for this role he's speaking of high wattage yeah. comics yeah. um yeah. one of the hottest in the planet and has been for a while um but it's does he know does he know it's coming to an end and maybe that's what we learn as the series evolves, but it is, yeah. we know, we know because we're out in the world. I'm in New York where it's legal. Uh, you know, you see the advertisements all over the place, you know, you can do it, but this, uh, in the first episode, I don't, I'm not sure that he knows. Am I supposed to know? No, you're not supposed to know. And he's not supposed to know. It's just like, we are all living with these sort of vague threats. Um, um, that's kind of like the world we live in, you know, it's like, I think we all, you know, some people think that, you know, our environment might be in its last legs. Some people don't, but there's that worry. You know, we all have these worries. I think Sebastian's ca character, Danny, is a believer. And that's part of what makes him fun. And also in the same way that we wanted to do a show about criminals, but in that gray area. And what's fun about this character is that, you know, he gets, he takes a beating more than he delivers beatings. He's, it's very relatable, you know? And the fact is, um, legalized gambling has not put bookies out of business. That's just a myth. Um, it's changed things. It's brought sports betting 
to a much bigger part of the population, which is great for our show. Our show happens to be sort of right on a moment, which I think is great for it too. But um, there are advantages to working with an old school bookie that working with, you know, a tr- working with the state or working with DraftKings can't offer you. And right. um, you use that's the word of what we find. Yeah, you use the word gritty regarding this world. You've yeah. obviously been uh, fascinated with sports betting forever. Uh, <laughs> sure. You used to uh, your segments on ESPN and you just you've it's well documented. Uh, we've been talking. You've been talking about getting uh, getting value on the Eagles last week or whichever <laughs> week it was recently. Um, how much has this been percolating in your mind or did it take the legalization of gambling for you to find this juxtaposition uh, yeah. of to make a show about it? You know, it's it is a fascinating it's been... world. It's out there. You hear about bookies. Everybody's got a bookie yeah. or somebody, you know, everybody's You're always got one a guy. Away. But what do they do? Yep. How do they do the job? Where do they, right. you know, what are their risks? What are their, it, it is a, it is a fascinating realm that really, I, I don't know that it's really been looked at in this way. before. It hasn't been explored and certainly not in the modern version. You know, there's sort of an old leg breaking cliche that is not the reality. It's certainly now, um, yeah, I've always wanted to deal with it. You know, I had a long, long relationship with my quote-unquote guy who actually sadly passed away a couple of months ago. Uh, but I knew him forever, got to know him, got to know things about his life. He got to know things about my life. And he was just a fascinating character. Um, we also talked to a lot of guys in that line of work um, who were really willing to tell us a lot of stuff Um most of them, as long as we assured them complete anonymity, and we could never quite get from them what they do with all that cash. Other than that, we got everything else. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a really interesting world. Uh, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're omnipresent. Um, it's, you know, we came up with a line for the um, posters for the show. We call it the second, world's second oldest profession. Because, you know, somebody's been taking action on everything, probably from the first time a caveman hurled a boulder, you know. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very interesting line of work. And it's, you know, um, I, I remember pitching a version of this to Billy Crystal's production company um, many years ago. And it just didn't follow up. It didn't really congeal in any way. But it's always been on my mind. And this thing started when Chuck and Sebastian Maniscalco connected. And Chuck said to me, are you interested in working with me to develop something for Sebastian? I was like, absolutely. You know, this is one of the funniest guys in the world. And I was a fan. Um, And uh, we went down some various different paths and at a certain point, we realized, I don't think I want to do a multi-camp sitcom, even though that would be the obvious thing. Let's take him and his family and let the day, you know. Um, and we started talking about being interesting to do something semi-criminal. We watched him in The Irishman. He's great in that. We realized, oh, he can do this. And I, I said, I've been working on a bookie thing. And Chuck went, perfect. It's the right level. Because it wasn't like we were going to start writing a show about, you know, 
killers. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is just the right level for comedy to live in for us. Um, this is a guy who is a criminal, but it's really, uh, you know, and, and, and we found the more we explored it, the more we learned about it, it was the right fit. We pitched Sebastian a left turn. I think he came into the meeting thinking we were going to pitch him, you know, hey, it's Sebastian Thursdays at eight. And instead we pitched him this deviant single camera thing. And fortunately for us, he got it. He said yes. And he was nothing short of fantastic for the whole process. Are there any hints you can drop regarding what's to come uh, in the, I don't know what to, I don't want to, you know, or be it for me to, to mention, uh, to speak out of school here. No, that's okay. That I'm the, the show's, are going to drop two episodes at a time starting uh, November 30th. We did eight. So it will, the, basically the month of December, the whole thing will run. And you'll see two at a time, which is a good metabolism for our show. Um, you're just going to, it's basically half hour ish at a time. Half hour ish at a time. So you'll get two of those at once. And a lot of them kind of work like the one you saw. We pick up right at the end point and carry on. You're going to see a year-ish in the life of this guy and his partner, Ray. And you're going to see them go through a lot of changes, personal and professional. Um, that's really all I can tell you because anything else would kind of be spoilerish and not worth it. Because, you know, yeah. I really think the, the magic of the show, it's not a super plotty um kind of deal although there's some really interesting twists and turns but what it really is is um i think you know the the best hope is that you get caught up in how these people are getting over and how they interact with each other the surprises um make smaller moments really pop and Mm -hmm. that is what i'm alluding to with the opening scene and you can hear it coming you're not sure (laughs) uh and then it's like oh and it really in the grand scheme of things it could have been anything but it was like it really is a great open that anything you might see anything on this show and then it concludes with something similar although that has been advertised with the the charlie sheen return but yeah and you know that's an interesting storyline too you know but yeah we had that first scene uh from the first draft and then there was that moment we realized, you know, we could do something interesting with this that might be a real interesting grabber, and it worked out. So the very first moment of the show is is worth people's while, and there's an interesting payoff to it. And listen, Charlie Sheen and Chuck Lorre working together is another really interesting story. That is, what was not that like? Are you allowed to talk about that? I'm, what the? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely allowed to. It was, you know, we had a scene. We since since our character. Danny is a bookie here in LA. We knew like, well, we can have a famous person play themselves and be a degenerate sports gambler. That's a natural. Let's do that. We had that scene. We had different people as placeholders in our scripts and different drafts. And then one day Chuck came in and said, I think it should be Charlie Sheen. To which I was like, really? Uh, you know, because I just, that was, these guys have not talked since. And one of the more famous meltdown crash and burn moments in recent pop 
is culture history. Um, it was scorched earth. Um, so at first I thought that it scared me. I thought this is nuts. And then I realized, but it's kind of genius because Charlie does bet sports well documented. Um, and I also, you know, knowing Chuck, um, and as I said previously elsewhere, you know, I knew everything that was underneath the water of that iceberg. I mean, this is something that I think he was feeling a need to put in a different place in his life. And I, it turns out Charlie was too. And they had a really scary phone call. You know, Chuck reached out, didn't know what, you know, those, one of those calls we all have in our life where you don't know what's going to be on the other end of it. And uh, it turned out to be, really wonderful for both of them and they hadn't seen each other and we had our first table read and you know that's a scary moment for a new show's first script read at a table for the studio and the network and the cast is together for the first time this is stressful enough and it was also going to be the first time chuck and charlie saw each other so there was a lot going on that day. And Chuck and I pulled up to the stage where we were holding it on a golf cart. And Charlie was just standing there over by the gate of the stage, by the stage door. And there it was. And I saw them walk over to each other. And they'd had good connect and they talked. But there it was their first face-to-face. -face. It was a, a really nice moment. I know that Charlie was nervous. Chuck was nervous. They handled it. And then we went inside. And, you know, these two guys made beautiful music together before things went bad on a profound level. And Charlie sat down at the table and proceeded to put on a clinic on, this is how a table read works. This is how you do it. He's masterful. You forget with all the, with all the craziness. This guy is one of the comedic actors of that generation and he just crushed it and it was beautiful and he's in another scene later in the series season one that i think is even better than his first one it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show and um he's at the top of his game we you know he we didn't know what we were going to get we had our fingers crossed turns out it was gold and so um my great hope is that we get to do more because he has to come back. He was nothing but good news. The storyteller in me has a question when you say about that first call, and you weren't there, I assume. So no, I know, but no, no. I wonder no. how many how many times you play intentional phone tag in that type of situation <laughs> where you make the call and you hope nobody picks up. Uh, and then you have to return the call and you hope nobody picks up because, you know, there's that dance that you do. Uh, because I, I, I can't know. imagine it was just oh Chuck Laurie's calling me I better pick up on the first ring here, uh, and yeah, vice versa. That, I mean, there's probably a lot know. of mental preparation that has to go into it. Yeah, yeah, there is. You know, those ones where you're like, you, it goes to voicemail and you're relieved. Yeah, um, yeah, we've all had those. Uh, I don't know whether it was. I don't know what the dance was or whether it was an immediate moment, but I do know that um, as it as it turns out both men were really ready to put that not that crap behind them and it's really great they, they they were both ecstatic too actually well let's 
bring this full circle here, Nick. Um, I wanted to leave this as the final question because then we would have discussed both your Bills slash Sabres fandom uh, <laughs> and your career and the different styles of writing, whether it be sketch to sitcom to uh, single camera out in the wild, um, <laughs> dramedy. Um, how much, and if you could give some examples, that'd be great. How much has your Bills or your Buffalo fandom and the misery that comes from it or the, and the joys that have come from it influenced your writing? Are there examples of your emotional investment in Buffalo sports coming through in your work that people might not <laughs> notice? Or maybe if you, you mentioned one or two things could go back and say, Oh shit, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's had a huge, anybody from Buffalo, certainly my generation, but not in any way exclusive to it. I think that being a Buffalo sports fan is an enormous part of your character. <laughs> I think that you learn that love and investment in things has to be about the journey. Because if it's all about the result, we're, we're in trouble, right? And I think that that's not a bad thing to take to whatever you're writing about. But that's kind of an overview of the Buffalo experience. I mean, I think the Buffalo identity is, um, you know, your humanity is much more important than the window dressing. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that makes Buffalo certainly a special place in my heart, a place I was grateful I grew up in because I did meet so many wonderful people there and I loved the energy of the place and people who did. My wife always says to me, why don't you and Buffalo go get a room? because she doesn't understand how you could love a place the way I love it. But it's like, it's just, and it's like, and it's not like I could show, well, look at this picture, you know, look at this. It, I can't point to anything other than the energy of the place. It's in you. Um, but it's, you know, it's influenced my writing as a human being constantly. And once in a while, I've been able to slip some things in there. My favorite moment was on mom, uh, Bill Fickner, Buffalo's own, Another Buffalonian. I had a great Buffalo synergistic moment where Bill Fickner, even though it was a show about recovery, opened a bar. And the bar was kind of in the weeds, and he had to have a pep talk with his staff. And so we had him give them the Lou Saban halftime speech. So you got Buffalo's own Nick Bakai writing for Buffalo's own Bill Fickner who on national television is saying to his staff in a bar, which is very Buffalo, you can get it done. You can get it done. And what's more, you got to get it done. And if we die, we die together. The whole fucking speech is on an episode of mom. And, you know, while we were shooting it, um, you know, I almost passed out with glee. Uh, so that, that, there you go. Look up that episode of mom. I should, is there any, I'll try there's... to, Follow up which one it is. Buffalo <laughs> exist in Bookie? Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any references. Um, no, but mm -hmm. there is a reference to, to Kutztown, well, to Andre Reed's alma mater. Um, I don't think there's anything You know you're in trouble when you're betting Kutztown State. Well, I'm guessing it's, we, a, it's a bet that's made. It, it, it's a, it, we, the, there's a quarterback who goes into a critical game and he's the third stringer from, and oh, that's boy. his. That's where he played his college ball, and it's uh, it's it, it adds it adds some jeopardy, Tim. 
Um, but other than that, uh, I don't think so. But that's why we need season two. Last last thing I just want to mention to you, and you, you've been kind with me here to, to give me so much of your time. <laughs> this is not your call, I'm sure. Uh, but the credits or the um, I don't even know what the the the, uh, the intro outro of the big boards like you see in Vegas. Yes, it's emotionally triggering to somebody. I lived in Vegas for five years and I can remember the first time I walked into a sports book like that. The MGM yeah. Grand yeah. sports book. I think it was probably 1993, 1994. And you have to look, it is probably, it's at least two stories high, these boards. It's like a skyscraper wall. And the magical feeling I had. And I didn't <laughs> even necessarily love it. know the teams and all the things. It's just oh. like, it's, you just can't, it's like looking at Christmas lights when you're seven years old. You, and you, you, you use that. You hear routine. heraldic horns. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, we 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 specifically said let's do that font, that that classic sort of dot matrix, green and red sports book font, yeah. and I'm thrilled we did. I'm glad that you. I love that you reacted to that. That makes me so happy. And everybody's got a spread. I don't know if there's uh, you know if that includes if that's some sort of secret Chuck Lorre power rankings for everybody on the staff. But I'm happy uh, to report everybody they were ran. They were random. Because that would that that's a deep well. People are insecure enough. Why was I minus four? Right. We don't need that. Everybody was magic. Put everybody on a spreadsheet. No, I guess right. uh, mm. maybe I'm not going to yeah. make it to season two. They're going to kill me <laughs> off in episode two of season two. <laughs> right. Nick, thanks for this. I know you're a busy. Oh, fella, my pleasure. But uh, my it's, pleasure, it's, Tim. I hope that you have more uh, joy than misery here down the home stretch for your bills. I appreciate it. Yeah. Go Bills, go Sabres, go Bandits. Uh, You know, uh, this is the year McGillney gets in the hall. What more can I say? I don't know. There's a hang up there. There's a hang up. That's for for another episode. Uh, Nick Bakai. Hey, everybody, watch Bookie. It drops November 30th, the first two episodes. And if you don't mind, uh, make sure you subscribe to Tim Graham and Friends. Uh, give us a like, a thumbs up, uh, a thumb in, whatever, uh, whatever it takes on the different platforms to show how much you uh, appreciate uh, Nick Bakai. Thanks to everybody for watching and listening. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716 716- 630-2400. 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you.